0: Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, Rhea's Foundling by Algis Budras. I, I believe that's how it's pronounced. Um, and it was first published in Science Fiction Stories, 1953. Um, there's no issue number for this magazine because I believe it was a test issue. They didn't have like a volume one or a month or anything like that. But um, it is from 1953 and it's an obscure and fun story, I think. (laughs) Well, um,
1: probably it's obscure. Uh, Whether or not it's fun depends on you
0: or me or whoever the reader is. Mm. Did you, did you uh read a lot of Aldous Huxley's? I I did not read a ton, but um I I do like his work. I didn't read a ton, but you
1: know um I'm of an age that Huxley was writing while I was at that peak moment for being impressed by science fiction. Uh, you remember that that old witticism that the golden age of science fiction you know that people debate about it is it the 19 is it 1930s is it 19 is it post-war is it 1930 to 1955 is it the early 60s you know what's the golden age of science fiction and the answer is 12 Mm -hmm. um so this this particular story was published When I was seven, but this is also the very beginning of Budrus's career. Um, And yeah, I read a little of his stuff. The work that impressed me the most was Who, uh, which is a Cold War novel in which the question of the identity and loyalty and intentions of an individual are explored. Interestingly, um, he didn't figure in my mind, though, as a particularly powerful writer. Uh, Maybe in part, I say this, having just read Rhea's Foundling uh, again, because he is, how shall I say, a journeyman. He Mm. he knows how to write the kind of story that could sell reliably in this period and he does a good job of writing such a story but ultimately i wonder if the story uh, goes beyond uh, titillating and entertaining us
0: yeah uh, i i i made note of him the first time i heard of aldris buddris was uh, i believe that's how it's pronounced and i i think i know it's pronounced that way because um, back in the 90s, there was uh, ads in the backs of magazines uh, for you know, various books and things. And I found this one um, advertised by Aldous Budgers himself um, of an audiobook of uh, four or five of his short stories on cassette, which was very rare back then to find science fiction on cassette, especially short stories. And he titled it, 42.40, no, 84.2 minutes of Aljus Budras. <laughs> I did have the opportunity to meet him uh,
1: two or three times, and uh, that is, in fact, the name that he seems to be most happily answering to.
0: Mm hmm. So, yeah, this is early in his career, and uh, it's a, a very short story. Um, would you do a sort of outline or story summary for us? For us? Sure. Uh, The story opens uh, in
1: the mind of a character named Fildy. Fildy, we learn, um, is a boy who has interesting mental abilities, including the ability to think in terms of Riemann space. um, That's non-Euclidean geometry. And in so doing, he slips off into another world. The other world that he comes to is one where apparently the highest life form is a, a being that is mammalian, um, ruminant, uh, basically intelligent cows. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, now they have, they're not, not as intelligent as humans, but they are intelligent and they have, it turns out very strong, Desires driving them to keep their civilization together, such as it is. It's not a technological civilization, it's a social organization, but they have telepathic uh, abilities and very strong uh, urges that are programmed into them, you know, certainly as strong as salmon going upstream, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out that Fildy is an orphan. And our main character, Rhea, on this alternate world, this other world, um, is a grand dam many times over. Um, that is, she has borne born calves, but she is now sufficiently old that nobody is interested in siring a calf on her. Uh, it says nothing about menopause. We don't know if she could or couldn't have a calf on her own, but she can't interest anybody in doing it. Um, so she l- starts walking off to the outer areas beyond the mountains where the population growth of the people, which is what Rhea's type call themselves, um, have spread uh, because that's where the wilder ones are. And she was hoping maybe there she could find someone who would sire a calf with her because it's spring and the, uh, the urge to have a calf is absolutely overpowering. That's what she is. She's a dam, D-A-M, and uh, and she needs to have this. And as she's walking the path up the mountain, she comes into telepathic contact with uh, this strange being. Uh, doesn't look like us, you know, but 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 she can feel that it's a child. And of course, it turns out that. That Fildy, uh, who needs mother love because his own mother, we will later learn, has been killed in a nuclear war, um, he, he kind of responds to her. And then the question is, can he be her foundling? Can she have the joy of re- rejoining this, the group, the people, with this new foundling of hers um, and raising it that she wants? And will he be happy there? Well, he's not going to be happy there. And so what he does is uh, ultimately rejects what she's trying to do, uh, her telepathic urgings. And he goes back into his Riemann thinking and teleports them both back to Earth, where she finds that she's in an odd environment. But son of a gun, it's an orphanage. And there are all these foundlings that could use her maternal presence. he's happy to be back and have someone who cares about him. She's happy to be there. And uh, I guess if the story has an obvious, uh, uh, well, it has a lot of themes. But the one that I think that comes through for me uh, most strongly and universally, perhaps, is the notion that adults will be dragged into a future unlike the one that they grew up in. Uh, whether they wish it or not out of their love for making safe the world in which their children will grow. Mm. And that's a very uh, lovely and comforting thought for a young reader of this story to be able to have, whether it's legitimate or not, whether or not it's uh, a good way to think of the parent child relationship is another matter. But, but I think that's what the story is about. How a young boy Turns out to be smarter and more capable than a wise grandmother uh, of a different world and type, which may be what a lot of people feel that their elders are like when they are themselves adolescent.
0: Hmm. I I wrote about the story after I found it a few years ago, and I reread what I wrote, and um, I mostly agree with what I said then, but. In rereading it, I also uh, find I like the uh, the parts I didn't like as much. <laughs> so, basically, what I, I praised about the story is is um, how much I like seeing the world from Rhea's point of view. Um, and I was less interested in in uh, Fildi's world and Fildi's point of view, which, yeah, you say she is the main character, and I agree, but he... We see oh, a lot I didn't of say that.
1: I said she's the main character in the other world.
0: Oh well, she she's the the title character in any case, and oh, the, the title character is, is Fildy. Good point.
1: Because uh, Fildi yeah. is
0: Rhea's foundling. Good point. It's a good point. She's mentioned in the title, I guess. Yeah. Um. However, um. I I just found myself fascinated in the in that first reading, uh, of seeing the world from a non-human perspective. And um, I don't know that Budrus was writing to it, but I think this is a really good example of something that John W. Campbell was, apparently said to people who were going to write for him in analog. This was not published in analog, but I think um, it might have been submitted there. Um, and he, he's attributed as saying... Write me a a creature that thinks as well as a man or better than a man, but not like a man. And I think Bungus has done that in a couple of ways. First of all, he's written it from a female perspective, not a man's perspective, right? Maybe a woman's perspective in a certain sense. Um, But also, he wrote it from a perspective of an alien that, you know, doesn't use tools in the same sort of way that we do, doesn't make tools in the same sort of way that we do. Um, but uh, I think is a pretty good picture in such a short story of of an alien perspective that is kind of one that we could think about if we did more than just see the cows in the field, if you know what I mean. If we start thinking about what cows think about, and what cows want, um, it's it's pretty hard to empathize with a salmon. Um, it's pretty hard to see the world from a salmon's point of view. But uh, cows, like us, are mammals. Uh, bison, you know, maybe they're a little less familiar, but uh, in in a lot of ways, I kept thinking about how how good a job Budrus does in really giving us a view of. Rhea's world in such a short space of time. Uh, one of the ways that uh, Ria's people are like, and I love that he calls them people, right? To 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 Ria, Fildi uh, is a calf, right? A baby. Right. And uh, that's That's wonderful. One of the ways that Rhea's world is like ours is that um, generally the uh, the herd is not just a sort of a, a herd they're they're pair bonded for the time of the raising of the calf right it says that the the males go out and gather uh food for the for the female and the baby forage which is just the word used yeah for you're right so it almost sounds as if like uh he's you know going to work and he's the breadwinner sort of thing so there's some sort of connection there but on the other hand um, maybe a little unlike our world the males uh only last for the season of the raising right they don't stick uh they don't mate for life as it were and the the pressures that Rio feels um being an older dam and uh grayer dam in a certain sense right um is that she is going to be um ostracized in a certain sense um from her community and, and the pressures she's under are uniquely matched to Phil D's. I, I found this to be a really interesting look at that relationship between a non-human almost parent uh, and a a human or quasi human boy. He's, he's um, got some unique powers there. Um, And he's so young. It's hard to say like, I was looking at the criticism of what people said about this story, and I don't like any of it. Any I of guess. the criticism? No. I, they, they were saying it needs to be a novel, or it's it's okay, but there's nothing special. But I think there is something special going on here. I think that uh,
1: that the writing, as I say, it's a journeyman's writing, in my view, and it, 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 it's efficient and works well. Um, let me exemplify that. And then I'd like to say something about what it works to create, to get back to that question of how we evaluate the story. You know, is it a really good story or just okay? Or should it be expanded to a novel? Mm -hmm. It begins thus, the loft of the feed house with its stacked grain sacks was a B72, a fort. A foxhole. Any number of things, depending on Phil, these moods. Today, it was a jumping off place. Now, that's, I think, terrific. This is 1953. The the B-52 had been involved in World War II. This is a B-72. We are set much later in the development of aircraft of military aircraft, we are still developing military aircraft. There is here already the implication that war is a continuing condition. We know that we're in a rural area. We know that we're dealing with someone who has, uh, enormous, uh, imagination. Phil is a strange name, but not so far from a name that we could expect today. Um, and not only could this place be a B-72, a fort or a foxhole, all three of those having to do with playing at war, but it is a jumping off place. Mm-hmm. And so when it says it depends on Phil, these moods, it turns out that his moods. Uh, are going to allow him to really jump off. His moods are truly important. So this this opening already tells us that we have to care about and validate the the interests of this this Fildy, whoever he is. It continues. Fildy slipped out of his dormitory and ran across the yard to the feed house. So, okay, he's... He, he, He is clearly not the most authoritative person around since he has to slip out to dormitory. So he's with lots of other people, but that wherever he is, it's associated with a farm. He dropped the big wooden latch behind him and climbed up the ladder to the loft, depending on the slight strength of his young arms more than on his legs, which had to be lifted to straining heights before they could negotiate the man sized rungs. So we have a beautiful metaphor here of a kid who is striving to find something more than he can find in the dormitory. He knows enough to create a safe space for himself. He's put the wooden latch down, but it's a wooden latch. There's a kind of bucolic pastoral tone to all of this, and he's going to try to raise himself up to be man-sized. So we have in- instant uh, sympathy for this This. this clearly small child later we find out he's actually five Um, Mm -hmm. this is very effective writing very effective so much is in it it goes so smoothly it's so easy to picture and for me that's one of the reasons that i would say that it's journeyman rather than genius work because it's it's so easy to picture I mean, all you have to do is take your stereotypical farm and stereotypical scruffy little spunky kid. And, you know, I mean, we're on our way, but we're somewhere in the future. And it turns out, as was true of so many stories, science fiction stories in the 1950s, the kid turns out to have absolutely extraordinary intellectual powers, right? He is better than the other people around him. He can do incredible things with his mind, including go to another planet. He could mm-hmm. actually work out very interesting and complicated equations, but we're told he's only five. <laughs> he doesn't want to be bothered. And then going through this Riemann Madra, it says in one a two sent- a two word one sentence paragraph, he twisted. And when he twists, he winds up at spring on Ria's World. And it says only she was alone. Well, we know that's not true because Fildy was alone. Even if he was living in a dormitory with others, he felt himself alone. He had to go into that that feed place and and make A world out of his imagination. And we will see that Rhea has the the people around her, but she too is alone because she doesn't have a calf. So they are made for each other. They are alone, but they need to be alone together. This is a perfect setup. Um, it lo- works beautifully. Eh, some of the stuff, though, bothers me. Uh, for instance, not enough to, to complain, but just to note. Uh, the, the editorial introduction says that Budras' work is so good because it combines sound scientific speculation with warm, believable characterization in a manner worthy of the best traditions in the field. Sound scientific speculation. Well, we get none of that. Mm-hmm. We just get he twisted. Right. And as far as really looking at things carefully, we get this sort of pseudo-Darwinian explanation for how it is that the that the the people were able to develop telepathic means of mm-hmm. controlling each other. But we have absolutely no understanding why there is no top predator that controls the population of these large ruminants as every other place we know about has. And when we're told that the, the, the bull's duty, once the the dams drop their calves, is to forage for their entire families, as you said? hmm Well, I don't know, man. I know there are birds that regurgitate food that they bring back to the nest, but I don't know of any ruminants that do anything like that. How does a
0: ruminant forage for other ruminants? It's pretty hard to imagine without hands in a basket or something, right?
1: Exactly. Unless, like rabbits, they can— poop out half-digested stuff, turn around and eat it. You know, if these ruminants are coprophagous, then that would work or Mm -hmm. like certain birds, if they regurgitate out of their first stomach. But the story gives us none of that. In fact, it's not science at all. It's it's playing with really well-crafted language to a sense of needing to come together. And I think, you know, At the age of 12, if you're a bright kid living in a scary world, after all, this is published in 1953. The hydrogen bomb has just gone off. Is it 53 or I think it's 53. So, Mm -hmm. right, I mean, you're living in a post-war world. The war was settled in America by atomic blasts. We find that Phil Phil Fildy is an orphan because His parents have been killed in the war. His mother, he gets to see her burned body. Um, And now he finds an alternate mother who not only loves him unconditionally, but is less smart than he is and will do whatever he needs, including give up her whole life to come Mm -hmm. and be with him. Um, It really is a very indulgent fantasy. So I'd like to make an analogy here. Mm -hmm. There is a book um, called The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein, which is a a, a story about a boy who uh, loves this tree. And as he goes through different stages of his life, he keeps coming back to he mostly doesn't care about the tree. He keeps coming back to the tree and, you know, he needs uh, fruit. He needs shelter. Eventually, he cuts her down, uh, Mm leaving nothing but a stump to sell her timber in order to... uh, To make some money but when he gets into his old age he finally just comes back and sits on the stump and personally i find it a detestable book Mm. to suggest that the virtue of motherhood that this is a good ending that it's wonderful that she loved him so unconditionally that she was happy at the end that he came back after he had taken everything that she had um But a lot of people think, oh, what a wonderful story. I just love the fact that the boy can always rely on the giving tree. Mm. All it ever does is give. It hardly ever gets anything other than attention from a boy who wants more from it. Now, in that sense, I can see that there are two readings for Ria's Foundling. Personally, just as I dislike (laughs) the giving tree, I think that the The fantasy of the orphan who gets the undying support of a dam he can control, because let's face it, now that we're back in Fildy's world, Mm. he can talk. She can't. They're on a farm. She'll be taken to be just another cow. He's in charge. This may be great from Fildy's viewpoint and great from the point of view of someone who would like the giving tree. But from my viewpoint, it is really self-indulgent and represents a a movement away from maturity, not a movement toward maturity. He is no more going up those man-sized rungs at the end um, than he was at the beginning. Um, the fact that the war continues and we see at the end that she's happy to be with him as the war continues um, is fine. You know, it ends with Rhea nuzzled her foundling. She looked about her at the war orphans relocation farm with her happy, happy eyes. So Fildy has brought her to the orphanage. She has found what she needs. Uh, Maybe or maybe not. Fildy has found something that he needs. Um, It's a really effectively written story that I can see two completely different reactions to mmm um uh,
0: you, you you call that uh, that B72 B52 is that you who said that's called what you call transformed language is that what's yeah, that is called? actually a phrase that I've that I've used yeah, right, so there's another one um and I in rereading the story, that's where I started to notice Phil these's world I, I mean, I guess you don't you don't spend that much time in it before he transports himself to Rhea's world. Um, But the second one uh, comes here. So it's uh, the second transformation here. Usually he spent at least a little time each day crouched behind the grain sacks and being bigger and older than who? Right. The other boys, the other girls firing coolly and accurately and into charging companies of burly, thick lipped UES soldiers or going over on one wing and whistling down on a flight of TT-34s that scattered like frightened ducks before the fiery sleep of his wing rockets. Um, so that second transformation there is TT-34s. Uh, World War II uh, tanks from Russia are T-34s. right? right. So it's like whatever a TT-34 is, it's, you know... In the same way that a B-72 is our, our heroes, right? right. The T-34s are the bad guys. Yeah. And they're the thick-lipped UES soldiers. Some sort of non-Europeans, obviously. Um, mm. uh, Non-North Americans. Well, how, however it is. The, the horror of whatever atomic war is going on in this story um, sort of passed me by as soon as we go into Rhea's world. But when Phil D starts thinking about his mom, his his real mom, not his cow mom, um, the horror that he tells there is pretty awful. And I didn't think too much about it, I guess, when I read it the first time because I was, I was, I I, I like this stuff about the cow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, there is a little bit about evolution here, and this is the sort of thing that Campbell was pushing. Um, you know, telepathy, right? He was big into that. And um, for a while, in the in, in the 40s and the 50s, a lot of write, SF writers were talking about ESP and all that stuff and thinking about how nuclear war was going to bring on um, uh, more mutations, which, you know, radiation does do. Um, and then that would lead to things like ESP and telekinesis and all that stuff, but um, the mom, we get a story here. So uh, one of, one of the things we didn't mention so far is that there's a, a little bit of, um, I don't know how to describe it exactly, other than bestarian right? Alfred Bester does this in in the Demolished Man and um, perhaps in uh, um, the Stars My Destination. Yeah. That's what I said, he
1: where, twists, and Bester has, has his character jaunt when he just right. spurts through space, and uh, this guy twists.
0: Well, but there's also the, the, the textual placement on the page where we get the, the telepathy sort of happening. Um, it goes like, Fildy recoiled, the feeling was warm, soft, sweet, and then a bracket pointing to, not candy in the mouth. And then candy in the mouth is, bracket pointing to, familiar, good, tasty, nice. The feeling was, bracket pointing to, not familiar, not good, not tasty, not nice. Why? Exclamation, uh, question mark, colon. M is for many motionless months. T is for tense temper tantrums. R is for rabid. No, rapid rolling wrench. And wrench is spelt with a W, right? MTR, mother. Wow, Fildy, this is sort of a combination of Fildy and, and the relationship he's feeling with the mind of, of uh, Rhea. And then this description of the mom, listen to this. Fildy's mother wanted Fildy's father. Fildy's mother wanted green grass and apple trees, tight skirts and fur jackets on Fifth Avenue. Men to turn and look, a little room where nobody could see her. Those are a lot of interesting thoughts. Fildy's mother had radiation burns. Fildy's mother was dead. This is almost like a summary of her story, her life story, right? She wanted green grass and apple trees, tight skirts and fur jackets on Fifth Avenue. Men to turn and look, a little room where no one could see her. Why? Because she has radiation burns. She pregnant with uh, Fildy uh, after this, during this? Is that why he has these psychic powers or this sort of ability to jaunt to other planets? It, just thinking about that, it's, it's a horrible, horrible idea. And then at the end, we find out that it's a uh, – yeah, we get the clue at the beginning that there's a dormitory, right? But we realize at the end with that revelation that it's a war orphan's uh, farm you know, displaced persons camp sort of thing, Um, that this world is horrible. And yet uh, the boy doesn't seem to show it at the beginning. He's having fun, but all of his fun is war-related fun.
1: Well, he's a little boy playing cowboys and Indians, Americans and whoever the UES is, except for that word thick-lipped, which sounds stereotypically racist, I thought that UES was United European States and that the war had continued and Germany mm-hmm. had taken over and but we were still fighting against them. Um, but the last the last words are, you know, I mean he's he's having fun. He's gotten someone who will give him his telepathic caress as often as he wants. His mind um, she could feel the warm response in his mind as she mm-hmm. touched him with her caress again. She saw the other little calves erupting out of the low dormitory buildings and something within her crooned. Rhea nuzzled her foundling. She looked about at her at the war orphans relocation farm with her happy, happy eyes. That's the end of the story. So going back to the giving tree, if you think her happiness is justified, maybe it's a great story. If you think her happiness is <laughs> being subjugated to a little boy who, in this case, is desperate, unlike the grown man at the end of the, the uh, giving tree for whom I can find no excuse, this is still a five-year-old orphan. Mm. He, he needs the help. I can kind of you know, say, I'm glad you got it, Filthy. I'm glad you got it. But you did rip Rhea out of her world to take it.
0: Yeah, I, I don't – I, I don't want to see more because I'm, I'd am i be fearful of where it would go. I, I like what I see because it's enough. Why don't say I want to see more?
1: I'm saying because I see no more, I yeah. see
0: how I could accept it, how one could accept it. I just yeah. don't. There's um, uh, the other thing that happens, you know, in his, his uh, trans, not transformed language, his, his um, psychic, projection into this other uh, planet. He, he spells things wrong, like mother is M-T-R, right? And then he says F is for Filthy. Well, Fildy is spelt with a P, but he's only five. He doesn't know that, right? Out, o is for out. R is for Rhea. T is for topology. H is for happiness and home. And then he's back on his own Earth. He goes forth, F-O-R-T-H, right? Um... And thinking about that second time with F is for Phil D, it started thinking, well, well, that is kind of a weird name, Phil D. Why is he called Phil D? That's not a normal human name. <laughs> I've never heard anybody named Phil D. Uh, well, if you've got a whole bunch of Phil's in your dormitories, plural, um, you could have a Phil D and a Phil R and a Phil P, right? And that's a terrific idea. I think I, uh, I think that it's it's the little detail like that. Just a, the reminder of the F is for Fildy. It says, well, wait, there's an error there. Um, well, yeah, he's making all sorts of errors. MTR is for mother. Um, but regardless of the horror that is the world of of Fildy, there is always Something beautiful about a mother's love for a child. Um, and I think that that's the takeaway. Um, and it's stronger in seeing that horror of, you know, the fact that even at this relocation camp, this place person's camp, the war orphans' camp, right, there's still a radar dish spinning, like as if they're going to be under attack at any moment. Um, it's There is something beautiful about um, the love that this dam has, uh, unconditional, and it doesn't need uh, what what you were saying from that Shel Silverstein book. It sounds monstrous. Uh, At the end, he chops down the tree, sells it off, and and the tree's still happy that that he you know it's like a betrayal if if we found out uh, that when Phil D grows up he, he has her uh, Rhea for dinner right <laughs> that's a kind of betrayal too
1: um, well I don't know what's going to happen as you said we don't you don't want to look into the future and we're not given the future but I do know what happens to cattle raised on farms on the earth mm-hmm. um, but rather than dealing with that now I'll just console myself with the notion that As you're pointing out to us, there is always more to say.